I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the New Testament, Luke chapter 10 this morning. Luke chapter 10. I think this may be one of the most familiar passages in the Bible, not just the New Testament, but uh, whether you're in or out of the church. This is one of the most uh, referenced um, stories that we have in the New Testament, the story of the Good Samaritan, that parable that Jesus uh, gives here. And uh, so many, as you're turning there, so many are flocking to Jesus. They have ideas about Jesus. They have expectations about Jesus. Uh, who is this guy? I've heard a lot about him. Maybe even seen him perform some pretty incredible things. And uh, so they're coming to Jesus with all these reasons. And Jesus speaks in parables, um, really to provide a filter of sorts. Um, as Jesus, uh, he says, there, there are many who are going to hear, but few are going to understand. There are many going to come to Jesus, but few will actually follow. And so by speaking in parables, we're seeing both the grace of God as well as His judgment in this um, filter that's used. And we get to the end of chapter 9, there's, there's really a turning point in Luke's gospel. Uh, Jesus has set His face to Jerusalem. For the final time, he is headed from the north to the south in Jerusalem. He knows the mission. He knows he will lay down his life. And so he's resolute and moving in that direction. And one of the first places Jesus will stop is at a village in Samaria. A village that would want nothing to do with him. Isn't that interesting? And certainly not coincidental to the story that we're about to read uh, in Luke chapter 10. So I'm going to read verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he, has, he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, as Jesus, said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is God's holy word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful that you have transcribed your very heart to us. And for those who presumed to be wise, Lord, many of, of great understanding. Lord, you open 
hearts, minds, you open eyes to see, ears to hear the truth from your word. And seems so wise to this world, you've often shown to be unwise. What seems foolish and silly, crazy, you've shown to be the wisdom of God Most High. And so, Lord, we pray that you shine the light of truth upon our hearts and our minds this day as we seek to love as you have loved us. As you maybe expand our understanding of what it means to be a neighbor and to love and to care as you have so graciously cared for us. Guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, is there ever a bad question or a silly question? Uh, for those of you who are teachers in the room, I say, well, no, of course not. There's no such thing as a, as a dumb question. Um, we ask questions for a reason. We want to gain information. Maybe we need clarity. Um, and so we ask questions. But let's be honest, not all questions are created equal. Uh, sometimes there, uh, <laughs> there really can be some silly questions. I heard one the other day, like, um, did Noah have woodpeckers on the ark? And if he did, where did he keep them? I don't know. It seems like kind of a silly question to me. But uh, I'll never forget a lecture that Dr. R.C. Sproul was giving. He was, he was sharing this with uh, some others. He said while he was, teaching, he was teaching on the Lord's Supper and the significance of the elements of, of the bread and the, and the wine, and, and one of his students shot up his hand sort of abruptly out of nowhere and said, Hey, Prof, hey, Prof, what's the big deal? Why can't we just use potato chips and Coke? And R.C. is conveying, you know, to this group, and he says, folks, um, you know, there is such thing as a dumb question. Um, you know, he, he wanted to strangle this kid, the most pastoral way you can imagine, but um, he, he, he remembers, you know, responding to him, because the Lord Jesus did not consecrate potato chips and Coke. Um, urgh, he was just, he was so mad. So good questions, maybe not so good questions, but most of the questions we're at, we ask are worth uh, asking. Uh, maybe many of us should ask more questions uh, about faith and life as a follower of Jesus. Uh, but the parable here really is structured around questions. Questions that this expert of the law has for Jesus, questions Jesus has for this expert of the law, and that's how we're going to look at this. Questions that, that drive home the very point of this story. Um, we're going to see here that, that love is the answer to these questions and Jesus puts this, this shocking story and then we see love is still the answer. So love is the answer. Shocking story, love is still the answer. It's the direction we're going. And so this man stands up. He's a PhD in the Old Testament. And he's confronting Jesus so he obviously knows his scriptures well. You know, maybe he and Jesus can talk about the nuances of the Hebrew a little bit. And if there's anyone who should have an audience with Jesus, it should be this man, right? Um, and he asked Jesus a question, and it really is a good question. It's an important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, how about that for a fastball down the middle? Or slow pitch, softball, that's a good one. That's your pace. Um, wow. Who wouldn't love to have that question asked of them? Wouldn't you like more people ask you that question? Hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, 
This is, this is an important question. A life saved from the justly deserved judgment of, of our sin against a holy God. Having an answer to that question is critically important. Critically. You know, we might, uh, we might throw out a John 3.16 if that comes to mind in the moment. For God so loved the world, gave His one and only Son. You know, repent, believe. Here's the answer. Let's pray together. But now, you know, Jesus doesn't have John 3.16. He doesn't have any of the New Testament. But that wasn't a problem for Jesus. Um, because the way to inherit eternal life is the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. So Jesus goes to where what they know and what they have. Um, he knows the man's credentials and he knows what this man is really asking and what he's not. Okay, more than likely, you know, he's trying to to send a message to Jesus that he's still, you know, take Jesus down a few notches. You can still have, have conversation here. You're still a player in this, this game. Um, and so Jesus says, okay, um, he's all head, but not a whole lot of heart. Why, why don't you tell me then? Why don't you tell me what the answer is? How do you, how do you answer this? Which is really a very gracious and, and tactful response by Jesus. We can learn a lot about how Jesus communicates with others. We don't have time to go into all that, but um, something neat to explore. But this man, he weaves together this, this wonderful response. He answers his own question. He uses language from the Shema. Here, O Israel, the Lord is one, from Deuteronomy 6. A love for neighbor, Leviticus 19. So, so love God, love neighbor, that is the source of life. It's interesting, both in, in Matthew and Mark's gospel, it's Jesus who uses those Old Testament passages. Whereas here, it's this expert in the law whom Luke identifies as, as quoting them. It's a good reminder for us that the gospel writers are, are, are coming at this from different approaches. Uh, the gospels are not, not chronologically laid out uh, in some places. Um, they are selective in what it is they include to accomplish the purpose of the gospel writer. Um, so Matthew and Mark don't even include this parable. Doesn't mean they hadn't heard it or wasn't important to them, but different purpose uh, in, in developing that message. So for Luke's theme of discipleship, understanding what very few would understand, this fits uh, well. Um, so to this answer, Jesus says exactly, do that. You've got it right. Where Jesus is actually echoing the words of the prophet. Listen to what Ezekiel said. I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. Much later, the Apostle Paul. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. It's a good answer. Do this and you will live. A commitment to God, a love for God, a love for neighbor. It's going to demand everything. A love that is expressed through obedience to the law. You are correct. So if, if Jesus comes back with that kind of an answer, I, there's not a whole lot of places that this man can go. I see three potential options. Uh, so door number one is to respond with, okay, just checking Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love the very best I can, see how things work out. Uh, see if it's good enough. That's one response. Uh, another response is, what do you mean? How am I supposed to love like this? 
If love unto eternal life is obeying every one of these commands, I'm, I'm toast. There's no way I can do that. Jesus has just confirmed love as the law directs. And so that the man or woman who, who hears that but doesn't really hear it says, okay, I'm going give it the, give it the good old college try and I'll be a good person, really nice, or at least nicer than the ones I'm going to compare myself to. But the one who hears and understands says, I can't. I can't love this way. Help me. Um, and there's a third option that says, well, that attempt to justify uh, myself didn't really work, so let's find something else that maybe we can go after Jesus with. So, we're, so kind of uh, ignoring the real issue of love for something a little bit more trivial. So let's try this second question. I'm not really concerned with obeying the law, but more, you know, what, what's going to justify my position? You see, with this question, getting to this this second question here, this very self-righteous question, something you need to be keenly aware of for ourselves. Um, We're we're always trying to justify ourselves. Um, And the sin that so easily entangles, constantly trying to justify, justify ourselves before others, yeah, but more often justify ourselves to ourselves. We try and, and manage God's commands. Particularly those commands that seem to have little bounds, like a command to love, or the command to serve, or the command to forgive. If we can place bounds around that, you know, fence that in a little bit, then we can actually measure how we're doing. And then we start to, to slip into this self-righteous, hey, Hey, look at how I've loved, look at how I've done. And it almost sounds pretty spiritual. So if we're going to restate this question that this man asked, and if we're honest, it's a question that we're asking a lot of the time, who qualifies Jesus for me to love them? Who qualifies? We've got, we got to draw the line somewhere. Help, help, me, help me do that. See, this expert here, he's very comfortable with his definition of neighbor. He's comfortable with his ability to love. Are you in that place? Am I in that place? Are we really comfortable with that? Um, In his mind, he softens the law of God, places a fence around it. And so what Jesus is going to do here, um, to inherit eternal life, to love God and neighbor demands everything. So Jesus is just going to blow up his understanding of neighbor. Um, now before we, we go back to the story, you know, I, I find this approach uh, somewhat humorous by this expert in the law, this lawyer, as he talks to Jesus. He's testing Jesus, okay? Um, th- this line of questioning is, is almost trying to pick a fight with Jesus over the Old Testament. Um, and this is not really not unlike what what is done today uh, or what we try to do today with the Bible or the teachings and mission of Jesus. It, it really does no good, does no good whatsoever to try and pick a fight about the scriptures with Jesus. Um, he is the living word. He's the fulfillment of the law. He is the God man and it's his story, which means that we don't interpret it for him. He interprets it for us. 
It is the Word of God that examines us. We are interpreted. We are tested by God's Word. So when you go to a Bible study, that's exactly what you're doing. You're studying the Bible, but you're also being studied, being informed by what it is we're studying. So until until we grasp this, we acknowledge the authority of, of Jesus, the authority of His Word, we are capable of asking a lot of bad questions. Questions that make little sense if we actually see ourselves clearly before a holy God. Um, or to submit to God's Word, not, not only because it comes from Him, but because we need this to know how to grow as disciples. So now back to the story here, verse 29 through 35. This man is going down, Jewish man going down from Jerusalem. If you're going to go down anywhere from Jerusalem, go go anywhere, you have to go down in elevation. And so here, about 17 miles northeast, is Jericho, and it's not a friendly road. Um, lots of, of places, I mean, not a hard road to travel, but lots of places where bad guys can hide out and ambush them. Uh, people along this, this road here, and that's exactly uh, what has happened. He's, he's ambushed and uh, left half dead along the road. Uh, it's just one word in the original. It's really interesting. Um, where they use this language of half dead. We have one of those books at home, you know, take care of yourself if you get a bug bite or a rash or fever or something like that, and it sort of gives you the steps and what you should do. If you go to the table of contents of this book, I, I looked, I checked. There's no, nothing for half dead and what it is you're supposed to do. Um, you just, you won't find it, um, even though it may feel like that at times. Um, so we don't know the specifics here of what this, this looked like, but this guy's in rough shape. He's not going anywhere certainly can't take care of himself. And so this priest and a Levite come along. They see his condition of a fellow Jew and pass by on the other side. Now when people heard the priest and the Levite, that was pretty significant. Um, I don't know if anybody here eats Wheaties, the breakfast of champions. I think that's still what it's called. But they used to put very famous people on Wheaties boxes. Maybe they still do that. They haven't had Wheaties in a little while. But... Uh, you know, some, some famous athlete or something. And so th- this is really, the, the priest and the Levite are the ones on the Wheaties boxes that everybody's looking at while they're enjoying their breakfast, saying, I want to be like that. Um, those are the ones. Um, and it's really, you know, one, one of the great ironies of this story, Luke, Luke doesn't tell us the motivation for the priest and the Levite. Lots of motivations have been given to them over the years as to why they passed by. Um, unclean, they, you know, they couldn't perform their duties in the temple, and so on. Um, but the point here is neither one of them practiced love. Neither one of them was a neighbor to this half-dead fellow Jew. And then there's the person who really should have passed by, or you'd expect to pass by this half-dead Jew, and he stops. Now, it's hard for us to comprehend the hostility between the Samaritans in, in the northern part of the kingdom and the Jews in the southern part of the kingdom. There was deep hatred. The Samaritans were considered sort of these half-breeds between you know, Assyrians and, and Jews. And long before, the, the Samaritans in the north had, had built a separate place of worship to God on Mount Gerizim, which the Jews end up destroying. But tremendous hostility here. So fill in the blank. If there is one person in this world 
that you do not want to be in the same room with, that person would be fill in that blank. That's what they're hearing here. It would have been absolutely appalling listening to this story. It's this man who shows compassion um, and he, he gives all his resources uh, or employs all different resources, oil, wine, his own uh, animal, and he hands over a fair amount of money to see that this man is cared for after he leaves. So it's sacrificial. would have been very inconvenient for the Samaritan to do this, and we know this, time and money. Time and money are the things we're at least likely to give up. Uh, things that will guard the most. And, and you think, was there anything in this for the Samaritan? Did this half-dead Jew pay him back someday? We, we don't think so. Nothing in there that would, would show us that. So the Samaritan shows compassion to one who would likely never show him compassion in return. So it didn't matter his race. It didn't matter nationality, religion. He cared for this man as another human being. And we need to hear that. Do we have obligations to our own family? Certainly we do to care for them. Um, Obligations to those within our church family, yes. But that doesn't eliminate our obligation to, to care for others who are in need, whoever they may be. Paul says in Galatians 6, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. But to everyone, we are a neighbor. So it's again, one of, the, one of the great reversals in Luke's gospel. Rather than the guys who should be in, the, the, the superheroes, the ones you'd expect to help, it's the Samaritan who shows that mercy. It's the outcast that actually satisfies the law and does what is needed to inherit eternal life according to the law that this expert has just recited to Jesus. Uh, if you get a chance uh, sometime today, maybe this week, read, read through the exploits of Israel uh, in Second Chronicles 28. Specifically verses 8 through 15. I mean to go a little bit before that for some context. But you'll find a fascinating parallel between what happens in that story with Israel and what Jesus has shared here in Luke 10. 2 Chronicles 28, 8 through 15. I'm not going to tell you what happens. I'll just leave that for you to read. So here's where Jesus puts an end to this questioning. So love is the answer. We've looked at this shocking story. Love is still the answer. See how he changed the question? He never actually answers the man's question in verse 29. See, this, this man doesn't, he doesn't need definitions. He doesn't need any more head knowledge. He needs transformation from the heart. Who is my neighbor? Wrong question. How to be a neighbor? Yes. Right question. We can know who our neighbors are all day long. But Jesus asks, who proved to be a neighbor? I mean, the way Jesus reshapes this question, he's actually answering that first question that this man has about eternal life. Love is still the answer. So fo follow me closely on this. A saving faith, a saving faith is worked out through love for God and neighbor. So faith in God and love for God go Hand in hand. You know, sometimes we'll talk about faith more. Sometimes we'll emphasize love a little bit more. But for the Christian, the two cannot be separated. So this love is expressed 
by obedience to the one that we love. Remember what Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So obedience is an expression of love. And we don't know the heart of the Samaritan here, but his actions are a demonstration of what love looks like that saves. Saving faith is loving faith. See the connection? Jesus says, go and do likewise. We have no idea how this man really responded to this. He could hardly answer the question because it was so obvious that it was a Samaritan. He couldn't even bring himself to say that. The outcast was in, and those who were supposed to be in were out. This man's head is so full of knowledge. His heart and his hands have a lot of following to do. Um, I think it's safe to say that um, you know, this expert in the law maybe had a little understanding of himself, didn't know his own heart very well, and I think it's true for us, something we need to consider. The heart is deceitful, desperately sick. Who can understand it? None of us know ourselves as well as we think we do. Um, so we need, to, we need to seek to, to grow in this awareness, to have the courage to go there for our own self-awareness. Um, that's what we see Jesus doing here. He's deepening understanding of this man's heart motives. And let me tell you, that can get nasty, can't it? We start peeling back the layers of our own heart. It starts to smell pretty quick. Um, so the idols start clawing. They start messing with you. Uh, let me encourage you. Um, begin this journey if you haven't. Connecting what is in your heads to what's in your heart. Go and do likewise, Jesus says. And oftentimes this command that Jesus gives, it's associated with these sort of random acts of kindness. You know what I'm talking about. Um, maybe you pay for the gas of the person in the pump across from you or pay for groceries from somebody in line. You know, what, a, what a great thing to do. I mean, it's beautiful. It just shows the generosity of, of God, His kindness, and maybe would provide oppor- opportunities for some more of that self-awareness. Um, but even these good Samaritan acts are not actually what this parable is about. Um, we need to consider how we respond to those who enter into our sphere of influence uh, that are just not like us. And what about those who are not overly friendly to us or oppose us? And would we be willing to help if the only thing we have in common is that they are a fellow human being in need of God's mercy as we are? For those of you who are a little younger, maybe it's a boy or girl at school that you don't get along with very well. They seem to, to pick on you, pick on others. Um, Maybe they encourage others to make fun with you. How do you respond when they finally get in trouble? Ha! Hmm. Um, about time that they got their share, right? They deserve it. They should know how it feels. Love for God and love for neighbor will go to that boy or to that girl and stand up for him or her. Or try to help them even if they would never consider helping you in return. Maybe it's that coworker, that, that you know, the coworker that sort of gets under your skin. They're working the system. Um, you know, how how do you respond? You know, you you know they're out for themselves. How do you respond when they're called out and when they lose everything? Maybe it's a family member who's just created a lot of tension, a lot of friction within the family, a lot of, you know, 
pain. You're being treated unfairly. Um, and then they're in trouble. You ignore them and say, okay, we'll just let, let them feel it for a little while. Uh, or do we consider, man, do we consider what inconvenience might look like to show that we understand this word? Um, wow. Henry Nouwen, a well-known Catholic priest, professor, uh, he's been with the Lord now about 25 years. This is what he says about genuine care for people. Um, I mean, he, yeah, the, the kind of love and care I think we really see in this parable. What we see and like to see is cure and change. But what we do not see and do not want to see is care. The participation in the pain, the solidarity in the suffering, the sharing in the experience of brokenness. And still, cure without care is as dehumanizing as a gift with a cold heart. To care. Are Are you and I willing to go there? To share in that brokenness, to enter into that pain and to care for the neighbors. I hope just a few examples there move us toward the response that this man should have had. I can't love this way. There is no way. How do I do this? I need help. To see others as God sees them, fellow sufferers in need of mercy, we must fix our hearts, our minds, our eyes upon Christ and His neighbor love for us. So the Samaritan, he's the outcast. He gives all that's needed to care for this man. The Lord Jesus himself, outcast on our behalf, gives all that is needed to love others this way. So the requirements of the law have been satisfied. What we must do to inherit eternal life, Jesus has done. And now we are to rest in him for this life. So when Jesus says, Go and do likewise. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy because I loved you when you wanted nothing to do with me. That's how much I cared. That's how much I've loved you. He entered into your pain. He entered into your brokenness and mine that we might be free to love. Do our hearts respond that way? That's the right question. Do our hearts respond that way? May our obedience be an expression of love for such a great salvation that we have in Jesus. Let's thank him for that together. Lord, this does explode our definition of neighbor more so what it looks like to love. Lord, forgive us when we try to cage this command. We try to justify ourselves in so many different ways. Lord, you went outside the camp. You were outcast for us. We not only wanted nothing to do with you, but we were at enmity, hating you, and you love us. Lord, it's only right here that we can make any strides towards loving others well. And so we look to you, we lean upon you, fill us with such a great love for you, that we can express it to those that we're frustrated with, angry with, those that we don't even know, um, to extend that love to them. Lord, I want to pray um, for Sister Michelle Hill, not to mention her earlier. 
She's on our hearts. She's on our minds. And uh, we commend her to you and to your care. And this transition and moving to uh, southern Michigan and a new job, Lord, I pray that that would go smoothly. Grateful for the excitement that she has in this work. Grateful that she has a, a place to call home. Lord, your hand of provision is great and we rejoice. Go before her, shepherd her in this transition we ask. Shepherd us now. Lord, beyond our wants, beyond our fears, shepherd us in the love of our Savior as we go from this place. In His name we pray, amen.